Well, good morning. Well, it's good to see everyone today, and wasn't the song service wonderful? Just the piano, just the, the songs about Jesus, and didn't it just lift your hearts to heaven? I, uh, you know, I haven't bought the t-shirt, I love my church, but I love my church. Uh, it's so, so refreshing just to be able to, to come in and have the variety of people and languages and worship styles. Even the music changes from week to week, and uh, when you're wired like I am, you need change. Some people don't like change. Well, I get nervous when there's not any change, and uh, so it's, um, it's really been refreshing for me and my family uh, to be a part of South City. Jennifer couldn't be here this morning, um, but I told her at 1030, you'd be praying for me because I'll be really nervous when I get to speak at my home church. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I want to ask you to, to turn with me. To the Gospel of Luke, the second chapter. We're going to begin reading in verse 21. And as you know, Brother Drew has been preaching on stories, and, and it's obvious that Brother Drew has a gift for preaching biographies and getting into the heart and the soul of people uh, that are in Scripture so that he can reveal them and teach us biblical truth. And uh, he asked me when he, when he asked me to preach, well, who are you going to preach on? Because we're going to continue with this series of stories. And I, I began praying, and immediately Simeon and Anna came to my mind. And the more I studied this passage of Scripture, trying to flesh out the characters of Simeon, trying to flesh out the characters of Anna, the more I realized that what Luke was doing really had nothing to do with Simeon, and it had nothing to do with Anna. He was just using those, those people as a brief moment in time to declare who Jesus Christ really is. And see, the whole Christmas story is focused on the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not an option for us as believers. It is the main purpose for us as believers to worship and be grateful for the things that he has done for us. This morning, I, I drove by a house, and they had, they had Santa Clauses, they had... Uh, snowmen, they had snowflakes, they had lights, they had sleighs, they had Santa Clauses. I mean, everything you can imagine. Their, their yard was completely full. And then I looked in the corner and there was this little bitty flag that had the nativity scene on it. And you know, in a lot of ways, when we get so involved in what's going on around us, the Christmas season, the holiday, we forget that Jesus is more than just a figurine. He is more than just a character to pay token attention to. He is our focus. He is our interest. And so this morning, I want us to look at this passage of Scripture. It takes place in the temple. It is now 41 days after Jesus has been born. And Mary and Joseph are going to bring him to the temple in order to dedicate him to the Lord. And then she'll have to offer a sacrifice for herself because she was ceremonially unclean since she had the birth of the baby. She'd come in contact with blood. And under Levitical law, you had to be cleansed or offer sacrifice if you were contaminated by blood. So, of course, when Jesus was born, there was blood. So some 41 days after his birth, Mary is now coming to offer her sacrifice. But she's also coming to dedicate Jesus to the Lord. 
And she comes to dedicate him to the Lord. And while she was there, there's an elderly gentleman. The Bible doesn't say this, but we kind of infer that there was an elderly gentleman by the name of Simeon who comes and he grabs the baby Jesus and he holds him up and he makes this wonderful proclamation about who Jesus is. Now, we don't know anything about Simeon before this event or after this event. But could you imagine if that was just the one moment of your life? That one time when you could pick up the Messiah, when you could pick up Jesus in your arms and talk to to Mary and talk to Joseph and and talk to those around you about what God has done, that God has sent his anointed one, and he's come in the form of human flesh. He's come as a baby, and now he's going to be the king of all creation. You know, Brother Darrell led us in that song, what a beautiful name it is. And I think Simeon would have to agree as he held up Jesus, glorifying God for who, what he has done. And then after Simeon kind of fades in the background, Luke, as if he's bringing another character into this play. He brings in Anna, who had been widowed, and she was possibly 105 years old, or she was 84. The text is not real clear in the Greek whether or not it's saying that she was a widow until the age of 84 and then this happened or if she had been married for seven years and then she was a widow for 84 years it's not clear but we know that she was an elderly woman and that she had dedicated her life to the temple service and to the Lord and then when Jesus is brought to the temple she begins thanking God and praising God for fulfilling his promises so we want to look at them at, at how they present Jesus Because he's presented to us in three lights, in three different ways that I think are still applicable to our lives today. And so look with me, if you will. We're going to read the first part, verse 21 through 24. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 21, At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So let's pause right there. So we have Mary and Joseph who come on the scene first and they're bringing Jesus and they're bringing him because he is supposed to be under the law. Remember Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law, but I've come to fulfill the law. And so Jesus was identified in this passage of scripture as our savior in three different ways. I mean, we notice first of all that he identified or he was identified by heaven. I mean, who named Jesus? It wasn't Mary or Joseph. It was the angel Gabriel. I mean, God sent him to tell Mary and Joseph, you're going to call this child Jesus. And Jesus means Jehovah's salvation. And so Luke is bringing out to Theophilus. And Theophilus is the the recipient of this letter. Luke sat down. He wrote two journals, two history books, Luke and the the book of Acts. And he, he wants Theophilus, the recipient of this letter, to not only know about what Jesus has done and what he taught, But here we see him revealing with all of the the ability that he can who Jesus is. And he reminds the reader, he reminds Theophilus that, hey, here was a baby who was born in Bethlehem, who is now at the temple, but the angel, heaven itself, had declared his name, and the name itself means Jesus or Jehovah salvation. And so he identifies 
the birth of Jesus from heaven's aspect. Now, we know that we've heard the story or the songs and, and the passage of Scripture that when the shepherds were watching their fields at night, all of a sudden the, the heavenly host broke out and said, Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. So we know that heaven was involved in the birth of Jesus. He was not just another man who was born to another Jewish girl and another Jewish father. He was the incarnate Son of God who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, who was born of Mary and then dedicated to the Lord after he had been named by heaven itself. So Jesus is identified by heaven, but he also identifies himself with us. I mean, when we look in this passage of Scripture... We find out that Mary and Joseph are coming simply because it was according to the law of Moses. Now, you know, in the Old Testament, they have ceremonial law, they had, they had national laws, and they had God's moral law. And according to the ceremonial law, they had to dedicate the firstborn to the Lord. Now, what is interesting is that we talk about the commandments in the Old Testament, but the very first commandment that God gave to Israel after they had been freed from, from Egypt. You remember the story how they're freed from Egypt? They cross across the Red Sea, and, and they escape Pharaoh's armies. Pharaoh's armies are flooded in the, in the sea. Well, in Acts, excuse me, Exodus chapter 12, in verse 12, God tells Moses to tell the people that I'm going to send my death angel tonight and I'm going to kill the firstborn of the animals and of the, men's because, of the men because I am going to execute judgment on all the gods of Egypt. Now we know that that is the beginning of the, the observance of Passover. Because when he saw the blood, the Jews were supposed to put blood on their doors. And when, they, when the angel saw the blood, he passed over their house and did not kill the firstborn. But God says... Clearly to Moses, I'm going to execute judgment on all of Egyptians' gods, plural. Now, the Egyptian magicians, they had done magic things that kind of imitated and mimicked God doing things. But they did not have power over life and death. But God did. He chose on that night who would live, who would die. And in doing so, he proved that he was more powerful than any earthly God could ever hope to be. And so according to that, in Acts chapter 13 and verse 1, after they're freed, he tells Moses, you tell the people that the firstborn is to be dedicated to me. He is to be called holy to the, the Lord, which means set apart, sanctified. It means set apart for the Lord. And it, they had been doing that ever since Israel was freed from Egypt. And so Mary brings Jesus in, identifies him as being a Jew through his circumcision when he was eight days old. But now she's identifying him as living according to the law when he is 41 days old. And she presents him on that day. Now, why is that important? It's important because if, if Jesus had not identified himself as a human being or with the human race, we couldn't have a savior. I mean, if you think about, and in this, this context, what Jesus did by being dedicated to the Lord and by being offered to him and willing to live under the law of Moses to fulfill the law so that he could pay the price for those of us who cannot fulfill the law, when you think about all that, that is going on in this passage, we're reminded that, that Luke just wants Theophilus to know who Jesus is. Jesus. 
I mean, he wants him to know that here was a man who was named by heaven, but he identified with humanity because he had the purpose of saving humanity. Think about it this way. If, you, if, if a friend of yours goes to court and the judge says you're fined $50,000 and you have to stay in prison until your debt is paid. Well, that guy can't work. There's nothing he can do. And so he's just kind of stuck in that situation, bound up by the decision he made to break the law. Now, you've got two choices if you want to get him out. You can go and illegally break him out of jail, and then you become guilty, and then you're both running for your lives the rest of your life. Or you can go through the process of the court, identify yourself as a person who is willing to pay the fine for your friend so that he can legally go free. The Bible presents Jesus as our Redeemer, and a Redeemer has three qualifications. Number one, he has to be capable of redeeming. Number two, he's got to be willing to redeem. And number three, he's got to have the qualifications to redeem. In other words, an angel could not redeem a human being because they're not human. An animal cannot redeem a human being because they're animals. But Jesus, when he identified himself as 100% God, 100% man, he identified himself with you and me so that when he went on that cross, he could go as the representative of the human race saying, I'm going to die on behalf of the sins of humanity. Even though he was God, he identified himself with me and you. I mean, the Philippians spells it out beautifully. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but, but made himself of, of uh, of no reputation, excuse me, and he came to earth and was obedient, the Bible says, even to the death of the cross. And then the Bible says, so that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess in heaven and earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Had Jesus not come in human flesh, he could have never identified with me and you. And legally paid our debt to God for the sins that we have committed. He didn't come as a stranger to break us out of jail. He came legally identifying with us to free us from the prison of sin. And so now he's dedicated to the Lord. But notice in how Simeon adds to the picture. You've got Mary and Joseph. They come in. They present Jesus. And, and the, the temple is probably full of people. But all of a sudden, a man comes to Mary and grabs Jesus. Now, look what the Bible says. In verse 25 of chapter 2, we have the entrance of Simeon. Now, that word now in the ESV is actually an imperative verb that means to look. And so when Luke is writing in his history, he says, okay, in verse 25, he says, now look. I want to tell you something. Remember, Jesus said, behold, and the other writers said, behold. And that meant to look, pay attention, because what I'm going to tell you is important. So he raises the intensity of this passage of Scripture. He has already declared what Moses, I mean, what Joseph and Mary have done. But now he says, Simeon comes in, and the Bible says that there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous. He was devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Bible says it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. 
and said. Now here's his proclamation. We have Jesus who is identified as the Redeemer because of his identification. That he identified with us. But now we're going to see who Jesus is because of the proclamation of Simeon. And he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Say, okay, I'm ready to die. And then he says, for my, or according to your word, according, or excuse me, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And so Luke changes the focus. It's not so much on Mary and Joseph, but he brings in Simeon to highlight the purpose for Jesus' coming. And I, I, when I was meditating on this passage, I thought, what, what event could happen in your life that if it happened, if it passed, that it came to fruition, you could say, okay, Lord, I'm ready to die. I mean, we don't know the family ties that Simeon had. We don't know the relationships that he had in everyday life. We don't know the responsibilities that he had in everyday life. But at this moment, his faith was so strong that when he saw the Lord's Christ, the Lord's anointed one, he said, I can go. There's nothing left to hold me here. And it really reveals to us the faith that Simeon had in the promises of the Lord. Faith is not wishful thinking. I mean, I've heard people say, you know, well, I have faith, I have faith. But the question is, what is your faith in? Because faith in faith is just wishful thinking. You cannot put God in a box and say, well, I believe God's going to give me a million dollars, therefore he has to do it. God is God. Faith is not jumping off a cliff saying, God, rescue me, or I believe you're going to rescue me. Faith is saying, Lord, your word says this, and I'm going to stake my life upon it regardless of the circumstances. See, it doesn't matter what we're facing. What matters are the promises that God has given to us. That's what faith is. Faith is the ability to trust God when nothing makes sense. And so here we have a man who comes in to the temple. The Lord, for some mysterious reason by the Holy Spirit, he reveals to him that he's going to see the Messiah before he dies. And, he, and even without seeing how he's going to do it. I mean, even without seeing how Jesus is going to save the nation of Israel. He says, the Bible says he had been waiting for the consolation of Israel or the comfort of Israel. Remember, they had been under Roman, the Roman Empire, under their jurisdiction, and they were nothing more than, than slaves, basically. They were oppressed. They were treated poorly. And Simeon looks at a baby. And he says, okay, I'm ready to die. I would have been like, Lord, how are you going to use this baby to go up against Pilate? What, what, what is this baby going to do in the face of Herod? He didn't do that. He says, Lord... I've seen it. I'm ready to die. You know, when my dad died in 2006, the one thing that I remember, and I hope I can do this when my time comes to, there was absolutely no fear when he came to that time. He didn't want to leave my mother. He didn't want to leave his kids, his grandkids, but he wasn't afraid to die. Why? Why? Because he had seen Jesus. 
You see, that is something that is imperative for all of us. That before we die, we can say, I have seen Jesus. I have placed my faith in Jesus. I have believed the promises of God's word and the actions and what it says that Jesus did on my behalf. And so, Lord, according to your word, I believe your promises. And now I'm ready to go. Think about the faith that demands. There was just a small remnant of Jewish people that truly believed that God was going to send the Messiah. It's even worse today. There's a sense of agnosticism. Well, you know, we ain't really seen God do anything, so we can't really believe that there is a God. But for Simeon, the promises of God's word were more real than life. They were more valuable than life. They were more valuable than his comfort. They were more valuable than money. They were more valued than, his, than his very, the very air that he breathed. So the question is, how consecrated are we? How separated are we in our passion for spiritual things? I mean, in a day and age of materialism, when we are so bound up by trying to make ends meet and by trying to provide this and trying to provide that, and those are all necessities, do we lose sight of the fact that there is a spiritual reality that is even more real than the physical reality that we're living in? That our life here on earth is just but a brief moment in, t- in eternity. But you and I will live forever and ever and ever. Some will live in the presence of God and some will live in the, the camp of the enemy. But what matters is if we see Jesus today. Have you seen Christ? I mean, he's sufficient because he identified with you and went to the cross and you and me and died in our place. But not only is he sufficient as our salvation, but we find that he is sufficient in our consolation. There was something that ached in Simeon saying, Lord, this is not right. This world is not like you designed it to be. This world cannot be all that there is. There's got to be more. And so he, he held on. To the promises of scriptures until he saw the Messiah in baby form. And he says, now I've seen it. I've got a friend, I think he's about 82 years old. And you can't spend any time with this guy, any length of time, until he's going to have tears in his eyes and say, let me tell you what God did for me. And he'll bring up a story. Now, some of them I've heard ten times, but that's okay. He loves the Lord. And he's ready to go. He said, I know what Jesus has done for me. So Luke takes out his paintbrush and he brings in Simeon. He says, Simeon, I I want you to demonstrate to the people what's taking place here. And Simeon basically says, there's something so powerful taking place here that it's more important than my very own life. Then he goes one step further. And if we look in beginning in verse 33... Simeon continues. I mean, in verse 29 through 32, we find out that that God had fulfilled his promises in the person of Jesus Christ, that in the eyes and the heart of Simeon, he understood that this salvation was for both Jew and Gentile. But then in verse 33, it says, And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, 
It's kind of like there's a change, an ominous tone that takes place now in Simeon's voice. I mean, I can just see him celebrating, saying, bless you, God, but then turning around to, his, to Mary and saying, but I've got to tell you something. And look what he says. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. For a sign that is opposed. In other words, he will be opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now think about what, what Simeon was saying. Simeon was saying and prophesying and giving the, the declaration that Jesus would not just come as a figurine, not as just a baby in Bethlehem that was cuter than any other baby. That's not Jesus. I mean, that's how he came, but that's not the end of the story. And Simeon says he is the, the glory of Israel, the light to the nations of Israel. They don't, I mean, the nations of the Gentiles. And he says, Mary, it's going to be so profound that it's going to be like a sword piercing your very heart. Why? Because Jesus divides those who believe and those who don't believe. Jesus is the Savior to those who believe, but he's going to be the judge to those who don't believe. And Mary watched her son as he, 30 years, some 30 years later, hanging on a cross because of the message of truth that he preached. And for Simeon, that was good enough. God's fulfilled his word. But I ask you again, have you based your life upon the promises of God? Jesus says, whosoever, or the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you believe that? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you believe that? I mean, do you believe that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us? You see, you'll never be prepared for the life that is to come until you settle what you've done with Jesus in the life that you have. And so Jesus is revealed as our Savior because he identified with us. Jesus is revealed as our comforter because he is the hope and the fulfillment of all the promises of God on our behalf. And then we have one more character. Luke continues with his pen, with his brush. He brings in a widow lady by the name of Anna. We know what tribe she's from, but other than that, we don't know. She's from the tribe of Asher, but we don't know anything else about her. What happened before or what happened after? Just one moment in time, and, and Simeon and Anna are recorded for all of eternity. One, because he recognized that God had sent a Messiah. The other, because she gave gratitude and, and thanksgiving to Jesus or to God for what he's done. So notice what the Bible says in verse 36 through 38 as we begin to wrap up. The Bible says that there was a prophetess. Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from now when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fastings and prayer night and day, and coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So now we have a lady who, instead of remarrying, chose to live a life for over 80 years of being a widow. 
And we find out that Jesus is sufficient in our darkest moment. I mean, if, if there was ever a culture that put a high premium on somebody being married, it would have been that culture. Why are you not married? What's wrong with you? Why, why aren't you having a family? Why don't you have kids? I mean, the list could go on and on and on and on and on. And the fact is, is that in her suffering, when she lost her husband, he left her alone in the world. He left her with no, no real source of income. Because in those days, women weren't even allowed to work freely. The husband had that responsibility. But now hers was gone. What was she going to do? Was she going to get bitter and angry? Was she going to run from God? Because we've got two choices when problems come in our life. We can either run from God or we can run to God. And Anna chose to run to God. And because of that, because of her faith, spending time with the Lord day in and day out, day in and day out, she found out that even in her loneliness, even in her, her pain and her suffering, Jesus was more than sufficient for the hour. She discovered what, what only people who have faith can learn. And that's that Jesus is with us every step of the way. I mean, it was, Jesus didn't just save us and then wind us up and say, okay, you've got so many years to go. And I hope, hope the best for you. I'll see you in heaven. But that's how we treat him. I mean, when the problems come, you know, we, we kind of forget about God and we begin to act like we have to cure everything. We've got to solve everything. And most people, most women would have looked for another man. If I'd have been widowed seven years after after being married, I probably would have looked for another woman. But Anna said, you know what? God is sufficient for me. I'd like to have heard her prayers. I doubt those prayers said, God, why did you take my husband? Oh, she may have thought about it. She may have vocalized it, but that wasn't the main content of her prayer. She was in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when we started, I, I, I told you that I love my church. And you know why? I mean, really, the, the heart of the matter for me is that when I leave on Sunday mornings, I'm not critiquing Daryl in the music. I'm not critiquing Drew in the sermon. I'm thinking, what an awesome Savior we have. You see, we gather to worship Him, not one another. And God has brought gifted leaders into our church to lead us into that worship. And it's so refreshing to come to church and leave saying, I've been in the presence of God. You see, the world takes its toll six days a week. And we come in here for an hour and a half, reprieve, saying, Lord, I want to worship you. I want to spend time with you. And Anna discovered the fact that in our darkest moment, God was just as powerful and he was just as real as he was when she was celebrating and first got married. So what a Savior. As we approach Christmas, let's think about him. Think about how Luke presented him, Mary and Joseph bringing that baby, dedicating it to the Lord. Let's dedicate our children to the Lord and say, Lord, they're yours. What you do with them is your business. But then we need to analyze our, our heart's longings. What is it that we look forward to? What is the real anchor in the hope of your life? Is it Jesus? Is it a better job? 
not her spouse. God wants it to be him. And then lastly, we follow and we imitate this widow woman who learned the hard way that God was faithful even when her world fell apart. Even when she lost the love of her life, she said, you know what, I'm not going to look for another one. I'm going to devote myself to the Lord. Now, that's not a commentary on whether you should get married or not or remarried or not. That just revealed Anna's passion, which was Jesus. Now, let me close with this. As we celebrate Christmas this year and, and as the whole world notices, it's kind of amazing. You go to Latin America, and I remember uh, one Christmas I was in El Salvador. Another Christmas I was in Nicaragua, and I thought the same thing. I thought, man, these people were starving to death, but they had Christmas trees in their trees that went as tall as this building. I thought, where do they get the thousands of dollars for that Christmas tree? And lights all over the town, downtown, lit up, and manger scenes everywhere. And I, and I thought, man, where, where did all this come from? But you know, there's some things in life that are more precious than gold and silver. And Jesus is one of them. He brings us to him. He says, trust me. I'm sufficient to save you. I am sufficient to comfort you. And I am sufficient, sufficient to bring you joy every step of the way. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? I want to ask Brother Drew in just a second to come. And, and really, through these two characters, main characters of Simeon and Anna, we were really forced, if you will, we're forced to kind of analyze and, and to, to evaluate our own hearts. Because here we have a man by the name of Simeon who spent his whole life waiting for the coming of the Lord. You know, preachers have been preaching that Jesus was coming back for, for years, 2,000 years. Have we lost that belief? Have we lost that faith that one day Christ is going to come back and all this is going to be made right and all this is going to be put back into order and all the world will worship God Almighty? Do we really bank on that promise that God has given us? I mean, what a tragedy to die in this life if we don't have any hope for the life to come. If this is all there is, it's not worth it. Simeon had learned there's another life coming. And what God promises, he's faithful to fulfill. God promises us to save us. If we place our faith in Jesus Christ. And then when our world falls apart. And I know the holidays are tough for a lot of people. Sitting at the table with an empty chair where our loved one used to be. Mourning over lost or failures and mistakes of the past. But I want to challenge you this Christmas. When you set your dinner table, put an extra chair. Say, Lord, you're here with us. And we want to acknowledge that. Whatever's happened in our life, whatever we're going through, you are here with us. And you are sufficient to bring us through this valley, carry us through this trial, and set us back on the mountaintop. He's sufficient for you. Father, we love you. We thank you for, for 
For Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for the promise that you've given to us that, that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. You give us that promise telling us, Lord, that, that Christ's death on the cross has a significance. A significance that alters our present. It alters our future. And Lord, we believe that you are sufficient in every area of our lives. Sufficient to save, sufficient to comfort, sufficient to bring us joy. But Lord, we confess it's hard to keep our eyes on the prize, looking into Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of our faith. Instead, we're so distracted looking at the circumstances of life. Looking at the situations we face. And we forget that the waves and the wind still obey your voice. The waters part at your beckoning. The mountains are moved when you choose. And Lord, we believe and trust in you every step of the way. In Jesus' name.